0: morning everybody I want to invite you to open your Bibles or you can open your Bible apps to Paul's second letter to Timothy we're going to continue to give our attention to God's word to us through a, a really personal charge given by the Apostle Paul to his young protege I might just add that um, yeah we do hope to have the the budget in the hands of our membership this week so that you can have a chance to review that but uh, also, if if you have questions, we are going to make some time next Sunday morning, following the worship gathering, for um, a, any time that uh, a time for those of you who would like to ask questions or clarifying things about um, our budget, which is proposed for 2020-2021. Uh, um, our budget year runs from. July 1st through the the last of June, so we're coming right up on it. If you have questions and interest in knowing more, we just put that transparent before you and we'll talk about it next Sunday. Um, On March 1st, I took on a new responsibility. I began to serve as the regional leader for the Midwest-Northwest region of Sovereign Grace Churches, What that means is is that uh, it's my responsibility to provide oversight and care for the elderships of seven Sovereign Grace churches, far east as the Twin Cities at this point in time, as far south as Kansas City at this point in time, and as far west as Roseburg, Oregon. Um, You know, it's because I love being a pastor that I love serving these elders. And it's because I I wholeheartedly believe that the local church is God's appointed means through which his manifold wisdom is made known on earth, that I love caring for these specific churches. It's because I'm convinced that what our Lord Jesus is doing right at this very moment, he's building his church it's because of that that I love fanning the flame of mission and church planting throughout our region. And it is because of my hope in Jesus' promise that, that neither principalities or powers or pestilence or politics or difficult personalities or conflicting perspectives, not even the gates of hell itself can ultimately prevail against the Lord's purpose for and through the local church. It's because of that that I count it a uh, A privilege and really a pleasure to bear that yoke of regional leader and I I tell you that it just feels like I just need to be transparent I mentioned this months ago but um, this role brings with it additional burdens and cares and zoom calls and visits and hours Um, a lot of hours that I would otherwise spend investing in other things and people. And um, I just want to say thank you to all of you who have communicated. You, you know what, um, what this involves and you've said that you're praying for me. Some of you, um, by virtue of your prompting, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you've, you've, uh, you've communicated that um, the, the Lord has led you to pray for the protection of my soul um, as I engage in this this role I just um, I can't thank you enough for your intercession um, these uh, I, as soon as I took on this role there, there, there became some things in our region that were hot spots and have required an enormous uh, amount of energy and time and so I, I just want to thank all of you and I want to especially express my gratitude publicly to Ryan and Logan, these are my fellow elders, um, as well as to all the men and women who share the load-bearing responsibility for feeding and leading and protecting and caring for this flock, just keeping watch over people who make up our missional communities. If it were not for all that you do, I just could not add on to my life the role of regional leader at this point in time. So um, I do believe that God has prepared you and the Lord has prepared me for such things for such a time. Um, thank you so much. And what a time it is that we live in. Um, and what a timely word the Lord has given us in these letters. He inspired the Apostle Paul to write to his protege, Timothy. Timothy. And to the church, Timothy was called to lead in Ephesus. We know that Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy as he himself neared the end of his lifelong career of gospel ministry. He says as much in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We also know that Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy from a Roman prison cell. In chapter 1, verse 8, he refers to himself as the Lord's prisoner. In verse 16, he refers to my chains. He's more specific in chapter 2, verse 9, when he says, I'm suffering bound with chains as a criminal. Paul is also well acquainted with what Many vulnerable senior adults suffer at the end of their lives in the way of boredom, in the way of loneliness, separated from loved ones as they near the end of life. Just listen to what Paul says in chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. He says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. I Think of my dad. On this Father's Day, saying something quite similar. Do your best to come to me soon. Demas has deserted me. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me, and, and and then you just add to that the um the emotional, the psychological pressure of being the object. of an an unjust penal system. According to chapter 2 verse 16, he's he's already had his preliminary hearing. He says, at my first defense, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. And he has little expectation of being acquitted. In fact, execution seems inevitable. He, He He is what some would call a dead man walking. Chapter 4, verse 6 he says, I am all ready being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Death row can break a human being. John Stott comments, Although Paul's second letter to Timothy was an intensely personal communication to his young friend, it was also and consciously his last will and testament to the church. So what weighs on the mind of a man who has spent 30 plus years and devoted to fulfilling the great commission, knowing that he would soon be dead, and gone. You know, it's, it's, it was a culture with no moral compass. The ruling emperors seemed determined to eradicate the world of the Christian church. Pulpits of many first generation churches were now filled with elders who mishandled God's word, taught doctrines that seemed right and true, but whose trajectories... Remember what Ryan pointed us to last week... Trajectories that were taking people far from the orbit of sound orthodoxy and the result being an almost total Asian apostasy. Listen to chapter 1 verse 15. This is a stunning statement. Paul says, All who are in Asia turned away. One commentator describes the situation like this. Christianity trembled, humanly speaking, on the verge of annihilation. Unsettling times. The times in which we live are deeply unsettling. And unsettling times reveal the substance of what leaders are truly made of. And it is instructive... To us that what preoccupied Paul in such unsettling times was not only the well-being of the local church, not only the well-being of the global church, Paul's mind and heart and soul were zeroed in on who would take up the baton, who, once he was gone, soon, who would carry on the battle for truth? When he was gone, who would guard the good deposit? Chapter 1, verse 14. Who would preach the word in season and out of season? Chapter 4, verse 2. Who would share in suffering for the gospel like a good soldier? Chapter 2, verse 3. Who would hold fast and continue in what he had learned and had come to firmly believe? Chapter 3, verse 14. Who? Who? That's what's on Paul's mind. And the answer is the recipient of the letter we are about to delve into. So I want to invite you to follow along. We're going to read Second Timothy chapter one, verses one through five. And uh, if you are able, physically able, I invite you to stand as an expression of honor and regard for the word of the Lord. Hear God's word through the Apostle Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my Beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. This is the holy and authoritative Word of God. Let's, let's pray. Such a personal, tender-hearted communication. One man to another man in whom he has invested much. In it, Lord, we are hearing You. We're hearing You address us. We're hearing You address us at such a pivotal time, it seems, it feels in history. Such unsettling, disturbing times. We're thankful, Lord, that You're not surprised by these times, but You have in Your wisdom, in Your providential ways, You have not only prepared us to hear a word like this, but you have, you've, you've put it all together into the calendar so that we would land on a text like this. Texts such as this. Letters like this in this season. This time, this place where we live. You truly care for us. How worthy, how worthy are you, Lord, to be praised, to be exalted for your Fatherly care. And um, we receive this, Lord, your communication to us now. We just pray that your, your will would be done. That uh, your will would be accomplished here among us in the same way that it's being accomplished in heaven. Feed us, Lord, with food this world knows not of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My purpose is twofold this morning One, I wanted to get an introduction to you to this second letter because this is where we're going to be staying for the rest of the summer. I think that mission is about accomplished, almost. Um, But I have a second purpose and that is to motivate you. I want to motivate you whether you're young or old, male or female. I want to motivate you to step up and step out and walk in the good works that Which God has prepared beforehand in which you, specifically, individually, distinctly, should walk in. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, We are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My, My aim here is to motivate you to do that. Each and every one of us has been blessed with gifts, talents, skills, various competencies, myriad of experiences by which we can make a contribution in which we can walk to the glory of God. And typically, the main reason that we don't walk in these things, I I tend to think that it's less about not having the opportunity to do so as much as it has to do with some heightened awareness of the various and many manifold limiting factors in our lives. They could be limiting factors outside of us. They could be limiting factors inside of us, about us. But it's because of those insecurities, fears of various kinds, that we tend to not walk in the good works which God has specifically, uniquely, distinctly prepared us, shaped us to walk in. And so the reason, the purpose of this sermon, is to motivate you to step up, step out, walk in those good works which God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in, is because Paul's purpose in these opening lines of this letter is to motivate Timothy to step up and to step out and walk in the good works God had prepared in advance for Timothy to walk in. Verses 6 and 7, which we're not going to focus on today, but verses 6 and 7 says, begins with, for this reason. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. For this reason, I exhort you to do that. What reason? For what reason? Well, the reason, the reason stated in verses 1 through 5. Our text today has reasons. And these reasons are intended by Paul to motivate Timothy to put into practice the gift God had imparted to him as Paul had prayed for him. And these reasons are intended by Paul to motivate Timothy to assert this giftedness from God by the power of God with courage and love and self-control. That's what I want to do. Is to motivate you. You who are in Christ Jesus, to put into action the particular gifts, talents, competencies, the whole deposit, the whole thing that God has poured into your life, all those formative influences that God has deposited into you by which He has shaped you, and to utilize them wholeheartedly, courageously, lovingly for the glory of His name and the edification of this local church during these tumultuous and troubling times. Why do we need motivation for that? (laughs) Why, why Why does Emmaus Road Church, the people of Emmaus Road Church need such motivation? And I would argue first and foremost because the times are so turbulent. They are so turbulent. The times are so disturbing. As were the times of Paul and Timothy, The pressures, the worries of today, they become overwhelming. Freedoms, choices which we've taken for granted for so long are restricted. Jobs and income are threatened. We've yet to see the full economic impact of lost businesses and mushrooming national debt. The social fabric of our culture feels as though it's completely unraveling or maybe already unraveled. The volume, just the sheer decibel level of anarchy's cries is like deafening. And who are we to speak into such realities? What do we have to offer? What difference can we make? Such were the questions raised by a young Timothy on whom was laid the weighty responsibilities of combating false teachers who troubled the church. Such was the responsibilities of young Timothy in ordering a church's worship and identifying and developing the next generation of leaders and regulating the care and relief of widowed and or abandoned women, of commanding, instructing the apostolic faith. Listen, humanly speaking, Timothy was not... The guy you would expect to be held up and to be appointed and to assume the burden of such leadership. According to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he was, he was perceived as being youthful. In fact, he was perceived as more than just youthful. <laughs> he was perceived as being immature, According to 2 Timothy 2.22, he actually didn't act very mature. That's why Paul needed to exhort him, flee youthful passions. Act like a grown-up. Stop playing games. Get some gravity about you, Timothy, or people will not take you seriously. And people need to take you seriously in hard times. According to 1 Timothy 5.23, Timothy was not your model physical specimen. He was prone to illness. He had to be exhorted to take care of his body. Further, there is significant evidence that Timothy's temperament was marked by tepid... (laughs) He's kind of wimpy. Um, he had a temperament type that didn't command respect. Paul had to instruct the church in Corinth not to let anybody despise Timothy. And in this letter, there is this litany of exhortations. God didn't give us a spirit of, of fear, Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 7. Don't be ashamed, Don't live in shame, Timothy 1-8. Be strong, Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1. Act like a soldier, Timothy, chapter 2, verse 3. Always be sober-minded, Timothy, chapter 4, verse 5. Get serious. Young in years, frail in physique, retiring, I guess. You could say in disposition (laughs) and yet (laughs) appointed to the exacting responsibilities of leading a local church, a troubled local church. Anybody here who's young or shy or self-conscious about your inadequacies? and yet deployed for the sake of gospel influence in a broken and angry world. Well, this letter has special, a special message for you, and so we ask you to pay careful attention over the next two and a half months. So, how does Paul motivate Timothy? What does he do? to what does paul draw timothy's attention what are the reasons well he points timothy to the developmental activity of god in timothy's life that's really that's really significant When we need courage, when we need to be strengthened, when we need to be motivated, when we need a fire lit under us, what helps is to have somebody point us to the evidences of God's activity throughout our life. Look at what God's been doing. Leighton Ford writes, You know, we can make either of two mistakes in viewing leadership development. One is to attach a mystique to leadership that says in effect, God calls leaders, leaders are born, there's nothing we can do about it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the other thing to say is, leaders are made with the right techniques, we can produce them. That's right. It's always true On the one hand, that God is the one who gives leadership to His church. God is the one who gives leaders to His people. We see that in Psalm 75, verse 7, where the psalmist affirms God's providence in these things. It is God who executes judgment, He puts down the one, He lifts up the other. God's the one that does that. But it is also true that there are processes God uses to produce His leaders. To produce leaders for such a time as this. We are His workmanship. And we have been made and Recreated in union with Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned, God prepared in eternity past. That we should walk in them when his developmental process has brought us to the time and place and preparedness he has sovereignly purposed. And loved ones, um, that, that's Paul's aim for Timothy. He wants Timothy to see that. Feel the power of that. The encouragement in that. That God has prepared you. Look at your life. Look at all the the fingerprints of God are all over you. And this is the Lord's aim for us as well. So that we might entrust ourselves to him. And to his sovereign developmental process in our lives. So how does... How does God develop leaders? If God's the ultimate leadership developer, (laughs) how does he do it? What's it look like? How has God shaped you and me for works distinctly planned and prepared for us? I want to suggest just a few things here very briefly. I'd love to do a deep dive, but we've got to go quickly. Um, The first thing that God does in developing leaders is that he does so according to the purpose of his will. So, when we look at our development in terms of life's processes, I think if we look carefully, attentively, we can fairly quickly recognize who's in charge. When you think of all the things that have influenced you the most. How many of those things were things that you decided and planned on your own terms? Remarkably few. God is the author of our lives. We are his epic poem. So Paul believed this. And that's why he writes in chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. According to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, I thank God as I remember you constantly in my prayers. So whatever our particular assignment is, may be, whatever particular good works, God is for us, whether it's being an apostle of Christ Jesus, or a young pastor appointed to a local church or a business owner, or an educator, or a contractor, or a physical therapist, or a student, or a homemaker, that appointment and that influence for the kingdom of God is by the will of God. It's by the will of God according to the life, the supernatural life that is in Christ Jesus, the Son of God. So every experience... Every event, every relationship, it's all significant in His forming us and shaping us and equipping us and positioning us for the works which He has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. God shapes people according to the purpose of His will. Second, God develops leaders through the power of the gospel. I mean, leadership is fundamentally about influence. And effective, impactful influence flows out of being. It doesn't necessarily flow out of some position. You can have have a position, you have a title, and zero influence. And you can have no position, no title, and have a ton of influence. And so being is a result of the life of Jesus in us. It's a result of the practices that we establish that nourish and deepen and cultivate our connectedness to Jesus. Listen again to one verses 1 and 2. According to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace Mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are not throwaway words. Grace, mercy, peace, they're not just. Blah, blah, blah. The the, the Christian life starts and continues with supernatural manifestations of the Spirit of Jesus. Grace is a dynamic. It is an experiential manifestation of the presence and power of God in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus because of God. Mercy is the unspeakable kindness and undeserved benevolence that God just pours out onto His people. In Christ Jesus. Peace is the vital status of reconciliation we enjoy with God. The sweet friendship we have with God in Christ Jesus. And all of them are applied supernaturally to our being by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There is a promise in God's word guaranteed in the death of Jesus for every situation, every trial, every obstacle, whether it's inside of us or outside of us, that could threaten to hinder us from walking in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in. It's because of the gospel. The gospel saves us, the gospel frees us, and fills us for good works. Thirdly, God develops leaders through our family of origin. Some of you believe perhaps that since you had a rough upbringing or perhaps you grew up in a broken family and all you see and feel in your past and maybe leaking into your present there's just nothing good to work with there. thanks to the gospel, whatever our families were or are like, good, bad, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, our upbringing is a vital part of God's develop, developmental process in our lives. He determined what family we would be born into. First one, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. And I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That's verse 5. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois. Your mother, Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Three generations of faith. It's interesting. In Acts chapter 16, we, we learn that Timothy was the son of a mixed marriage. His father was presumably an unbeliever but his mother was a believing Jewess who had experienced new birth and she trusted Christ but before her, Timothy's grandmother had been converted. Three generations sincere faith. My wife and I were both raised in family systems that were not characterized by discernible faith. But praise to God. He brought each of us to faith. And our family of origin has shaped us in profound ways anyway. It informs who we are. It informs our strengths. It informs our unique weaknesses. Some of you were raised in family systems where there was vibrant faith, perhaps for generations. But you have family members today who are ambivalent towards Christ, have rejected outright the claim of Christ. Maybe it's you yourself. But loved ones, these are the very dynamics that the Lord uses to shape us distinctly for works that He has prepared in advance for us to walk in. There are places and relationships and situations I can walk in and have influence that you can't. And there's places and relationships and situations that you can walk in and have influence for the gospel that I can't. It's because of how God has shaped you through your history, your family. He doesn't waste anything. Fourthly, God develops leaders through critical events. You know, we we find it useful, um, several of you have done this, to, to map out on a timeline the critical events of our lives. We mark the high points, we mark the low points, we mark the joys, we mark the sorrows, we mark the celebrations and the griefs and the losses. And often it is, we discover that it is those heartaches that leave the deepest and most lasting impression on our developmental process. They they just make us who we are. Tender-hearted, humble. Paul remembered Timothy's high points, his spiritual high points, but he first and foremost remembered Timothy's pain. Chapter 1, verse 4. I remember your Tears. It's in the hard and hurtful occasions. It's in the hard and hurtful occasions that we learn how to rely on nothing resident within ourselves. In suffering and tears where God reaches, He teaches us. It's there that He teaches us how to rely on the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. It's unlikely we would learn how to put off self-reliance and put on the power of God in the strength of His might, which is absolutely necessary for leaders to know how to lead in turbulent times. We need the supernatural power of God. We're not going to experience that, learn that, unless we've walked through times so hard, coming at us so fast, so relentless, so overwhelming, that all we can do is cling to Christ. And then lastly, God develops leaders through vital spiritual friendships. Think for a moment. Who is it that you would say has had perhaps the most significant impact on your life? left an impression on you, shaped you. I would would venture to say that nine times out of ten, the person or persons who come to your mind are those who walked faithfully and patiently alongside you, the hard times and the good times the best times and the worst times I love Paul's sweet affection for his young protege to Timothy my beloved child I thank God as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I have a friend who um, he has a saying. When he encounters someone who he he notices is asserting very discernible spiritual influence, he'll say, I wonder who it was. I wonder who it was. Who, who who it was? Who who, who what is was what? what? <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder who it was, who walked alongside of him, or her, and left such a mark. Paul's aim is to motivate us to walk. <laughs> Who's walking alongside of you with vital friendship? Who are you walking alongside of? Paul's aim is to motivate Timothy to persevere and press on in love and courage during those turbulent times in those challenging circumstances in that overwhelming but extraordinary opportunity he writes him a letter and directs his perspective to God and to God's providence, and to God's purpose, and to God's grace, and to God's mercy, and to God's peace that are His in Christ Jesus. And he reminds him of God's developmental work in his life, and communicated through the gospel, through family, through the best and the worst of things that have happened in his life this side of eternity. And he reminds him of the enduring friendship that together has served to prepare this young man who was disposed to, someone has said, to lean rather than to lead and to entrust himself to God and God's developmental work in his life and to step up and to step out in the good works that supernaturally empowered good works that God had planned and prepared beforehand for young Timothy that he should walk in them. And loved ones, this is God's aim through Paul for us as well. Let's ask him to do this work through us. Let's pray, Father. It's a gift and a joy. And an encouragement to call you Father. Love you, Lord. We thank you. We say thank you, God, for adopting us as your sons and daughters. What an extraordinary spiritual blessing it is to be the recipient's of your name and inheritance. Thank you that in Christ Jesus our sins are gone. Thank you that you have not left us as orphans. And you've not just made us your own but you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit whereby we Sense that you're our Father. We're your children. I would ask, O oh Lord, that in this place for every trusting, believing, depending heart and soul, that you would fulfill a promise. Did He who supply the Holy Spirit to you Did he who poured out his love into his heart, into your heart, did he do that by works of the law or by hearing the word of God with faith? Lord, bless your people with trusting, believing hearts this morning and pour out that spirit of adoption into our hearts and souls in a fresh way today. And may we be filled with courage and love and life and the fruit of Your Spirit. Supernatural manifestations of Your Spirit. So that we might make You known. We wouldn't shrink back in these times. We wouldn't cower in these times. We wouldn't scratch our heads and just hang our heads in discouragement, fear. But rather we would be engaged with the fullness of your empowering presence. Assert your kingdom influence through a people, by the power of your word, the truth of your word, by the power of your spirit, the glory of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.